My name's Kirk. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark today, and so I invite you to turn to chapter 7 as we get into the Bible today. That's what we're here for, uh, along with singing to God. We're here to hear from, from his word, and um, we've had such a privilege so far. I don't know about you, but looking at the life of Jesus and looking at the ways of Jesus is just absolutely uh, miraculous, helpful, uh, draws me back personally to understand what this thing is all about that we do when we show up here on a Sunday or when we are um, living our lives. And so I love the Gospels for that reason. And um, today uh, we have an opportunity to hear in this uh, section of scripture uh, that we're going to cover in Mark 7, uh, kind of uh, a different Focus. It's going to strike a different note than where we've been. And so if you remember last week, Pastor Tucker, he ushered us through Mark 6, where it talked about uh, Jesus drawing his disciples away for a short time of rest because he had seen that they had been ministering and busy. And, and, and in that was caring for their souls as a good shepherd and called us all to consider that for ourselves as we begin 2023, just thinking through what does it look like to come aside with Jesus and, and get some rest Uh, We're going to then, after that, uh, see that Jesus sends his disciples out onto a boat for the second time. And we're going to skip over that because I kind of covered that the last time that I was up here preaching in Mark 4. And we looked at the two accounts of the storm and what Jesus did. That first, he was uh, testing his disciples and sending them out uh, with him in the boat, but appearing to be asleep and actually being asleep. Uh, And so what we saw was that Jesus, through these two encounters in the storm, both with them and then sending them, actually was forming them into his very image so that they could move forward with what we're going to see here, the beginning of a kind of sinister note in the gospel of Mark, a a change in scenery and the the furthering of opposition both to Jesus and to his disciples. I I think that's so true in our lives as well, that oftentimes God will call us to come aside and and spend some time resting and knowing him and, and being with him because he knows what we don't know, and that's what's ahead, what's coming. And so we're going to look at Mark 7 today as we look at the way of the Lord. So read with me. Uh, We'll go today through verses 1 to 23, but we're going to start by reading just verses 1 to 8. So let me read that for us. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus really 
introduces us in this section to something different than we've been dealing with, like I said. And interesting enough, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, what we've seen is that Jesus really is shown as this man of action, man of power. The disciples are realizing his authority, his, his ability to do miracles, all the revelation of who God is and his power and authority over demons and all these other things. Uh, and very few times in Mark's gospel do we get Jesus' teaching. So we have the privilege today of looking into a teaching that Jesus gave in Mark's gospel. And I think it's a very powerful one. Uh, I think even just reading it, you sensed uh, what God might be doing as we approach him in our worship here today, as we gather together. And, and Jesus really deals with, uh, in this first section, what I would call the Pharisees and religious people in general, the nature that we have in an attempt to get clean. Okay, and that's what I see here in these first few verses. He's introducing this idea of purity and authority, and he's trying to help us see what the Pharisees were doing. They were attempting to get themselves clean in their approach to God. And uh, it, it, you also have to kind of always examine what the scriptures are saying. We, we read past stuff so much, at least I do. And it, it says that these particular Pharisees, and if you don't know who they are, by the way, I do want to just kind of tell you that. Pharisees, and most of us who are from church backgrounds or have been around a while know that they were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were the teachers, the, the, the ones who kind of ruled the community, really. Uh, and you, you see even in this passage how they ruled. Uh, but it's good to remember where they came from. Pharisees were actually a renewal movement that uh, rose up in the nation of Israel's history because they were seeking purity from the idolatry of Israel's past. Okay, Israel as a nation was God's nation, but they had uh, disobeyed him, worshiped other gods, put other gods before him, the Baals and the Asherahs of the Old Testament. And in doing so, God disciplined his people, sent them into Babylon, into exile for 70 years because they weren't even allowing the land to rest like he promised or like he told them to do and commanded them to do. And in that you can imagine after 70 years in captivity in Babylon how they saw the effect on their nation. They saw the effect when they came back in the post-exilic period and they built this other temple. And it says that people were weeping because they saw the glory of this temple was not the glory of the former temple. And in such, you could almost say that as a nation, they had a traumatic experience, a significant emotional experience that in the Psalms is reflected when it says, we sat by the waters in Babylon and we wept when Babylon dashed our children by the riverbanks. And so we see that the Pharisees then sprung out of that, out of this trauma, out of their national story and said, we want to be pure. We want to get back to the Bible. We want to know the words of God. We want to obey the words of God. We want to protect the nation of God from ever doing that again. We don't want to experience that again. And you can all relate that sometimes we're reactionary people. We, we have movements in our life birthed out of things that we experience. And that's just sort of normal in one way. And that's who the Pharisees are. So uh, we, we tend 2,000 years later to look at this passage and think, oh, here those guys come again. And of course, we're going to do that. But you have to look at the roots and say that these are people that wanted to be pure. They wanted to be clean. They wanted to approach a holy God in the right way, right? Because God was holy. And God did want his people to come in a certain and particular way in the Old Testament. 
But we're a long way from the purity of that movement, and it says here that they came from Jerusalem. And remember, this is not a, a casual stroll. It's like, hey, I, I drove from Boise to Nampa today. This is not like that, okay? This is uh, an intentional um, Sanhedrin plot and plan. They've heard about this guy, Jesus. Jesus has been dealing locally with some synagogue leaders and like having a little bit of opposition, but now these people are saying, we need to go get this guy. These are the religious hitmen of the day. This is like, I think there was a show, I didn't watch it, but the Amish Mafia or something like that. I think that's what these guys might be like a little bit. Uh, they are looking to nail Jesus to the wall. You can see the contempt on their faces. You can hear the mockery in their voices. This is what's going on. It's a, a sinister note. So that's happening. And then in addition to that, we have all this stuff that this passage does that we probably don't really understand very well, right? Like ritual washings, cleansings, things of that nature. I mean, I, I suppose, like, I need to tell you, it's not about hygiene, okay? This is not the uh, COVID police trying to get everybody to mask up or vax up. And again, I'm not intending, by the way, to say that the anti-vaxxers are the right ones in that. So I apologize if I am mixing my metaphors here. But this is not that, Okay, this is not like a hygienic police. This is something different. And in that, we start to get a clue of this passage and what it's all about, actually, and what Jesus is going to get to the heart of and why he spoke to them so clearly and directly and what he will say to us as well today. And so Jesus says, or excuse me, the, the Pharisees uh, actually were after purity, after cleanliness, and here's the rub. I actually, it's embarrassing to say, but after um, being a Bible student and a teacher for many years, I just actually saw this for the first time this week, that the Pharisees were making the people of Israel obey these ritual washings in a way that actually wasn't reflective of the scripture. I've always just thought and assumed, to be honest with you, that like, hey, yeah, those are ritual washings. That's what all the Jews did. And, and really, this law of a ritual washing that is in the Old Testament scripture was only for the priests. It wasn't for the people. It wasn't for everybody. And so they've taken something from the word of God that is good from the word of God to approach a holy God and to be clean. And now they've said, now everyone has to do it. They've put that on the people. In time, their traditions, the Mishnah, the Halakha, all these things that were there, they developed multiple rules like this. Jesus referenced that in this passage. He said, many things you do like this. The washing of the, 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 the pots. The, you know, this is not washing your dishes. This is all about trying to get clean. Trying to approach a holy God. And Jesus strikes out at them saying something that we've read already, but I want to draw your attention to. He says, this is all vanity. I mean, I think it's important, right? What are we doing right now? We are gathered to worship. We're gathered as a religious assembly in some sense, though you might, I, I don't really see myself as religious and, and maybe you don't, and I hope that's right in some senses. And, and, and so, but yet we are, we're gathered here. We just sang songs. We just put on a, a concert, as I like how Tucker says that only Christians have a concert on Sunday morning at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock. That's just us. Uh, he, here we are, we're doing that. We're, we're, we're worshiping, we're praising God. 
And I wonder how many times, and I know in, in my own heart and life, how many times I've come to this gathering or a gathering or come to this in an attempt to kind of get clean and, and prove something and, and, and be right with God. And that's what Jesus hits out. And again, I'm going to read this. Uh, I, I, I want to kind of dive in a little more to Isaiah. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 1, we're going to see uh, more that he says in that uh, passage, that prophet that he already quoted. Jesus said, this is all just man-made religion. In Isaiah 1, he gives a picture of the entire uh, nation that is an overview of the book. And, and here are these things that he's going to say as well. Isaiah 1, verse 10, says, Hear the word of the Lord. And by the way, don't you like that Jesus said, when they're saying, you don't obey the elders' tradition, Jesus said, it's written. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Here's Jesus, or, or excuse me, the Lord in the Old Testament, calling his people the people that they hated. Right? That's what's happening. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We know the story. Perhaps you, you're familiar with the motif. In fact, Christians, sadly, many times are guilty of being the ones to point out exactly what we think about Sodom and Gomorrah in a judgmental tone. And so here, what the twist is and what the flip is that God does, he says, no, actually, Israel, you're Sodom, you're Gomorrah. Here's why. What's this? The multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come before me to appear before me, who is required of you? This trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, these were all their festivals, their worship gatherings, and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and, dis and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. Wow. Welcome to our worship gathering. God pulls no punches with his people. I think that's very, very, very important. And I think that's what's taking place in this passage. We come to God with all of our attempts to prove our cleanliness. See, the, you go back to the passage in Mark, and what you realize is that this had more to do than just this outward ritual washing and everything that's taking place. And it's keyed there in the passage when it says that the elders of Israel, the Pharisees, were upset that the disciples were going to the marketplace and then coming back and not washing. Now, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. Do you wash after you go to the village each time? Um, do you wash after you go to the mall, right? The, a lot of us would be taking a lot of showers all the time, okay? Um, that's not what he's talking about. 
the marketplace in the ancient world for the Jews was the Roman Agora, and that was the place where they would mix in with Gentiles. Okay, and that gives us the clue that what's taking place here in this passage is that the Jews' attempt to purify themselves, the Pharisees, is about more than just ritual. It's about identity, and it's about the ability to look down upon other people who don't do it like we do and who don't do it right. And it's about the opportunity for them to exalt themselves above others. Now, I don't know if you know the narrative of Israel at all, but the Old Testament says that uh, God told them, like, I didn't choose you because you were greater than everybody else. I chose you, in fact, because you were the smallest, you were the littlest. Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians when he says that there's not many noble among you, right? And so he says, I didn't choose you for those reasons. I just chose you as my people, and now I want you to be a priest to all the nations, And somehow, in all their traditions, they had gotten to the point where they viewed the people around them as so unclean and dirty that they would hinder their relationship with God, that sin was like this cough that you could catch. We can't go to the marketplace without washing. Can't be around those people. Now, lest you sit and I sit in judgment over these Pharisees, which is so easy to do from our perch here. Who are those people for you? Who are the people you say, like, I'm not wanting to be around them. All I'll say is this. I lived in the context of a post-Christian society for about 17 years in Europe, and and I've said that before. I'm not just trying to, like, say that for any, honestly, I'm just telling you the story. Um, Anyway, uh, I I lived there, and, and the majority of my friends were people who were not in a worship gathering like this. Um, The majority of people that I interacted with were not religious people. And it took time, and I was shocked. And and at first, I remember my response and my interactions with them were a lot about, like, lobbing gospel bombs in there and trying to get them to, like, feel the pain of the gospel and come to Jesus somehow. But later, I realized that that was my own heart's issue, that I viewed myself as above them, not with them. And so what's taking place here is that Jesus is dealing with this and he's saying, you've got it all wrong in your attempts to be clean. You're trying to be clean the wrong way. Man, you've actually done something very evil. You've created a superficial religion that's made up by men. You have radical inconsistencies, and now he's gonna highlight one of those, and I call this next point, we're gonna read verses uh, nine to 13, and I call this, that this is their dirty way, little way to get clean. Listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that's a given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And so here's the issue. They've taken the authority. Not only have they in their attempts to get clean, 
drifted from the word of God. They've taken their traditions and made them a big T tradition and put the scriptures as a small S scripture. And Jesus saying, no, you need to make the scriptures the big S, the sola scriptura that guides everything. And you need to make your traditions the small T. I love how he says that you've got a fine way. The one English Bible translated a clever way. And that, I, again, my British roots, so to speak, I, I, one of my favorite phrases was like, oh, clever boy, right? Clever boy, good job. And I've pictured Jesus here with a little golf clap to the Pharisees, right? Like, good job, guys. You did it. You succeeded in doing something that is totally wrong and totally unhelpful. Verse 8, 9, 13, he talks about how they've made this tradition more than God's word. They've stacked up different types of legalism. They, they have legalism. They're trying to be justified in God's presence and prove who they are, be better than others. They're, they're trying to bind other people where they're free. That's what Jesus is saying here. They're also trying to get around the law of God. These are all things we do, right? And, and so in this section, I want to call us to think about this a little bit, that not only did they do this, but we often do it, right? For them, it was Corbin. And if you understand the concept, it's, it's this, that you were free to spend your money how you wanted to. And God's word said to honor your father and mother, which, side note, that's actually important to God. So I'm sorry all the high school kids just left. We need to tell them this. Um, but it's actually very important. I mean, you read in there, Jesus said, quoting the law, that uh, obeying your parents, honoring your parents is actually something that in the law you would be killed if you reviled them. And we all hear that. It's like, man, that is serious. Yeah, that's how important God's image in a family and the leadership puts the responsibility on what it means to be a father or mother, but also the responsibility of child to react to that and actually respect that, that God does care about authority. So Jesus is not saying that authority is unimportant. He's not saying that holiness is unimportant. No, it's, it's there. You've done a dirty little trick to get around it. They would say, well, I want to honor, but all the money I would have made, I'm just going to give as a gift to the temple, and so then I can't give it to my parents. But even if those worshipers wanted to, it says here that the Pharisees would say, nope, sorry, too late, you can't. And whose pockets would that pad, right? They're the ones at the temple. They're the ones who want the money. And so really there's so much in this that we see is twisted, is twisted. I view this as a, a, a passage that reminds me of the danger, what it is to be a religious leader, though I didn't like that title. It's such a lame title. Hey, what are you? I'm a religious leader. No, please don't call me that. Um, but uh, it, it is dangerous to be the one telling people what to do and how to obey God and how to live their lives. Like we just had this amazing uh, conference, Cultivate Renewal, and we were talking about how to pray, how to plan, how to do all these things, and, uh, and it was wonderful. But I, I did remember that some of those practices that we were pursuing are actually practices that we're just saying, hey, here's some options and some ideas for you. Like prayer practices, like how to, how to reflect and think and breathe and, and then approach God. But I got to remember, Jesus Christ is the mediator. And whether or not I pray this certain way or, or try this or whatever, it's Jesus is the one. And I don't need to have all of that. I like it. It's a good option. It helps me. And, and in so many ways, we have elevate tradition over scripture just like these people. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, first, a funny one. I, uh, we, we're just people of tradition, right? I 
was raising my kids, and I decided at some point, um, I kind of got out of the legalism that says, like, Christians can't watch movies, so I was like, okay, we're going to watch movies. Um, for the first, like, 10 years, I didn't have a TV. I was just like, no, that's sinful. That's wrong. Uh, and then eventually, I, I, I was like, okay, we're going to watch movies. It's good family time. I learned it from somebody else. So we're doing family movie night, right? How many of you guys do family movie night? Hands up, right? It's a good time if you choose the right movie. It's a bad time if your kids are arguing all the time about what movie to choose. Then dad's just got to step in and say, this is what we're watching, right? Um, anyway, I remember just doing this ritual, so to speak, every Friday night, and it was great. At a certain point, when my kids got older, I'm like, hey, maybe we should change up things, and maybe we should just, like, go do an activity. And I'll be honest, I discovered the power of tradition, the revolt that took place, the angry shouts, the arguments. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, we can't switch movie night from Friday. Crazy, crazy. We're traditional people. You try to take something away from us, and in a way, I was happy because that meant that the time together was valuable. In another way, I was like, wow, that's scary. Here's another example, though, that's more to Jesus' point um, that I experienced when we were in our church in England. We, uh, by God's grace, were able to connect with a lot of people who just didn't have a background in church at all, which I loved. And <clears throat> one gal who had a really hard story, dear sister in Christ, love her so much, she um, had a, a son and a daughter and was really... Uh, I, I'm not going to publicly say everything, but she had been through abuse. She had been through um, just uh, domestic abuse. She had been through so many things and was finding her identity with Jesus and, and with the community of God's people. We had community group every night, and she would stay with her kids who were honestly really rambunctious and kind of uh, bad. Uh, and she would stay with them until like 9, 10 o'clock at night. And then a young couple joined our church. And they were really, I really liked them a lot. And they were part of our community group, and they started to engage and talk and, and kind of be friends with everybody. And then after community group one time, this uh, couple approached me. They said, hey, we, we, we have a concern. Um, we feel like you're propagating ungodliness because you're allowing this gal to be here too late, and she's not able to put her kids to bed on time, and then they're too tired for school, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, well, fair point on one level. It's good to have a rhythm and get your kids in bed and get them to school on time, fine. But, like, would you ever take your kids uh, and let them stay up for a sporting event or for Disney on ice? I think you would. And let me just tell you this, that this gal with her story that you know nothing about actually is finding her place with the people who got in the best place she could be and the best place her kids could be would be staying up till 10 o'clock with aunts and uncles and people who love her because of Jesus. And that's a way that we are so easily able to take something that is a tradition for us and bind somebody's conscience and put it on them and say, this is God's word. This is how you get clean. This is how you're holy. And bearing to them no ill will, of course, but it was a learning lesson for me. And I think it's so important for us to be able to say with Martin Luther who said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God, not by your traditions. 
of course, speaking of the Reformation and what was happening there. And that doesn't mean that only Catholics have traditions. Of course, Protestants, we've developed plenty of them. And it also doesn't mean that we jettison tradition entirely. Like we have traditions, right? Calvary as a movement was born out of the hippie movement that was like non-traditional, right? All these hippies coming into church. There's now a movie about it, apparently. I haven't watched it, but like all this stuff, like that happened. It was cool. It was great. But then we just developed our tradition. So now our tradition is no tradition. Now, if you say you, you, you can read a prayer from a prayer book, oh, watch out. That might be demonic or something. Well, read the 39 articles of the Church of England. It's pretty good stuff, actually. It's doctrinally correct. It's, it's good guided prayer. It's okay. You're not going to slide from the faith because you get a little more formal. It's important to know your traditions and then distinguish your traditions from the scripture. That's all. That's what Jesus is doing here. Don't put them above. You can have them. You can pray a certain way. Just don't tell everybody they got to pray that way. You cannot watch movies. Just don't tell everybody. You cannot have a drink. Just don't tell everybody they can't have a drink. You cannot hang out in certain places. Don't tell everybody they can't. So let's look at our last point. There's so much more, of course, we could say. But if we go to... Verse 14, Jesus is now going to wrap this up for us in what I would say is the way of the Lord to be truly clean. The issue of purity is not external but internal. Mark 7, 14 to 23 says, He called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus does what he so often does, takes his position as the new prophet, the new uh, proclaimer of God's truth and word and says, hey, hear everyone and understand. If you've got ears to hear, listen. This is often what Jesus did with the crowds. He said, hey, I need you to listen. This is what we're doing this morning. I need you to stop. I need you to consider because we're so easily in this rat race we call religion or this formalism or ritualism or in our attempts to justify ourselves. And because I need you to stop. Throughout scripture over and over again, and and just right now, I want you to think about this. I want you to do what the Bible says. Consider your ways. Consider. That's in Haggai, the Old Testament. He said, consider your ways. You looked for much, but it came to little. You put your money into pockets with holes in it. Because why? God wasn't the center of your life. That's not a message about tithing. That's just God saying, I want you to flourish. I want you to be provided for, and you're killing yourself here. All throughout scripture, it's like, consider your ways. 
Think about what you're doing. Ponder the path of your feet. We just did that in this conference. We took two days in Cultivate Renewal and say, God, please, would you show us things about this last year that were good, bad, hard, easy, and where our heart's at. I, I want to encourage you that if you haven't done that yet, do that. Reflect. Right now, what, what, what's, been, what's actually the outcome of your life? Because as I did this by God's grace, I was a little bit shocked, and God was dealing with me. I took a few days the other week to do this before our conference, and I do this typically, I try to do it. I don't do it every year, but I try to do it every year, a couple days, fasting prayer, just kind of like get alone with God, um, and you know, not to try to earn something, but like just make some space and say, God, speak to me. And he reminded me in my notes from the previous year of some things that I had purpose to do and said that I would do that I haven't done. And I hear that word of Jesus to the Pharisees, hypocrite, don't put a mask on. Don't lie about what's been happening. Don't lie about your heart here, right? And I remember that I had purpose to study the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? What's that? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I had purpose to study those things one a month. And then I look back and it's like, dang, I didn't do that at all. So now... In an act of repentance, I'm meditating, reflecting. And, I, and of course, I've seen the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I hope that at some point someone saw a little bit of fruit like out of my life. But uh, I'd say, like, I'm sure it wasn't as much as if I would have been meditating on these things. And so as I reflect on that, now I just got on Amazon, bought like four books. I'm going to have them on the desk over here. Wife, kids, you guys, keep me accountable. I've got to read this and focus on this this year. And so just saying, Lord, God. I feel your call to focus on being a person filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is it for you? Look at the outcomes. That's what Jesus is saying. The way to be clear and clean is first look at what's actually coming out. It's body that he talks about. It's, you know, you're just like, hey, it's, it's obvious. Like, it's not from the outside. It's from the inside. He gives that crazy list that we saw. What actually did you think about this year? That's why journaling is so helpful. Like, hey, here's what I thought. Here's what I said. What were the actions out of your life? Was there slander, arrogance? It, it, we, we can play the pretty picture of church, but then we can go around and in a prayer meeting say like, well, really pray for these people because you know what's happening with them. That's gossip. We can slander people. We can betray people. All these, this folly can come out of our hearts as we abandon God and don't live in his presence. Then it's so easy for us to become idolaters and have this happen. And so think about the outcomes, Jesus says. It's not what's outside of you. It's what's in you. That's the bad news. Is Jesus says, this is in you. This is not a common uh, societal thing now, right? Some of you are even reacting to this maybe this morning and saying like, this is not nice, okay? Uh, you're telling me that my, a lot of, big portion of my problems are the sin in my heart that come out that's in there and it's in me that I'm identified with sin. 
Well, first of all, as a Christian, you're not now. You're identified with Christ, but you still have sin. And second of all, like, yes, because what else is the solution? Historically, let's just survey it. Is it the system? Is that what the problem with humanity, right? If we set up the system just right and we get it just right, then everybody will just be kind to each other and love one another. We've tried that. hasn't worked. Whatever governmental system, it doesn't. Is it the schooling, you know, just more education? And that's going to change your behavior and everything that comes out of you? Well, look, sadly, we just had this tragic murder case here in Idaho. And who was it that did it? Possibly. I don't want to accuse him publicly because it's innocent until proven guilty. But if it was him, it's a Ph.D. student. How did education do? Is it the samples and examples of our life? Like, oh, well, my parents were this way, and so I'm this way. My culture is this way, so I'm this way. Yeah, but those things only accord with you because it's in your heart in the first place. And so here's the reality. That's bad news. And that doesn't sound kind. But I think it's actually the key to good news because as one popular psychologist and and philosopher kind of said recently, he said, what you need more than anything is to be able to confront the evil that's actually within you. He said he came to church when he was younger and didn't like it because he heard these kind of things and said, like, I don't like that reality of thinking about what could possibly be in me, and I don't want to admit that. I just want to try to be a good person. But after years of experience, he realized, no, it's there. The evil is within. And he said the best thing that you can do is to confront that but I think that that, that that drops us short. That's still moralism. Confront it and do what with it? You see, Jesus would one day cry out at the temple stairs when the ritual jars of water were there. He'd say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And he'd pour this water out onto the temple stairs. And he would say, I am the ritual cleansing and here's what I, where I want to finish today as we get ready for communion. I want to say this. The good news in all of this today, I'm sorry that you came to church and got told that we can be vain and traditional and all these kind of things. I'm, I, I, that, I didn't choose this passage. But I will say this. The good news in all of it is, I know, like me, you are attempting to be clean. Our culture is attempting to be clean Don't try to do it like the Pharisees. Don't think it's done just in this room. Don't think it's done by your traditions and your rules and looking down on other people. It's done by the work of Christ on the cross who sheds his blood and his blood somehow is the atoning work that washes and cleanses us and makes us clean before God to where we don't need a ritual. I am not a priest This service is not a mediator. Jesus Christ is the Savior who says, no longer do you have to go and have a shower after a hard night out thinking that that's going to cleanse you but still feel guilty. No longer do you have to clean your house and scrub it and scrub it trying to prove that you're a good mom. No longer do you need this cleansing that comes from your rituals, but you can have it through Christ. So as we prepare our hearts, just... For two people, first of all, if you're a believer, Jesus said, you're clean because of the word I have spoken to you.
Jesus came so that he could give you more than tradition, cleanse you. And then 2 Timothy says, of course, yes, it, there are many vessels. You, yes, you have to cleanse yourself continually through the cleansing of Christ, but not outward, inward. Let the Spirit reveal what he needs to work out of you. Second, if you're not yet a Christian, I don't want to scare you off. I just want to tell you, like, yes, this stuff is in us. We know it. We don't judge you. We don't look at you, we don't look at you differently. We're all broken. We all have had these things come out of our heart. And the, what you're looking for is the cleansing that comes from Christ, the washing of regeneration, the Bible calls it, the, the born again experience. And I want to call you and say, like, would you just come to Jesus and say, I need to be washed? And he'll wash you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your truth, your way. Thank you that you came among us and dispelled the myths of religion that put up boundaries and barriers. And you said, I'm here to just wash you clean. Lord, let us as a church be a people not of misplaced tradition or tradition over your word, but of your word that has godly good traditions that honor you and respects all the things that are the foundation in your word. And then Lord, let those who need to today, I pray, just experience your cleansing for the first time because it is so good to be washed and clean and clear in our consciences. And you do that. Ask in your name. Amen.